that. Praise the Lord, somebody. Amen. Special thank you to our, our worship team that does such a great job leading us into the presence of the Lord. Special thank you to have Gabriel Bello here leading us today. Honored to have him in the house. Someone asked me, where'd you get that boy? I said, look, I'm proud of all my saxophone students. <laughs> so great to be here with all of you. We love you. We speak the blessings of the Lord upon you. And I know this is the crazy holiday season, and I know there's lots going on in your life. Um, and I know that we've been, uh, we've had this crazy, rainy, sleep-in weather two weeks in a row on Sunday. But I was thinking in the, earlier this morning that maybe what's about to happen is the rapture's about to happen, and the Lord wants to know who really loves him. And um, he's like, if you can't even come to church in the rain, you wouldn't be comfortable in heaven anyway. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, it's not the will of the Lord that any perish, but it's so good to see you all uh, here with us today. Those of you joining us online, thank you for your time. We're going to read one verse of scripture. Uh, I'm going to use this as a title. You guys know I don't make a big deal about titles. I just, you, I need a title to kind of put a handle on the sermon. So when someone refers to it later, it kind of has a handle on it. So let's call this scripting Christmas and you'll understand better by and by. Ecclesiastes 3 verse number 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Uh, that is rather, it's a beautiful phrase, but it can be difficult. Uh, do you really mean you've made everything beautiful, Lord? Have you made everything beautiful? And you think of the brokenness of the human story. You think of the sadness of human history. You think of the tragedy that is so common uh, in uh, communities around the world. Have you made everything beautiful. If you stop there, the scripture makes very, very little sense to nearly anyone, but the scripture does not stop there. The scripture points out that God has a longer time horizon than we do. He knows the end from the beginning. You know, you know what we know? We know the moment we're standing in, and most of us don't even know that moment particularly well. We have a lot of opinions, but we don't really know. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity. Somebody say eternity. He has set eternity in the human heart. You can try to ignore it. You can try to bury it. You can try to mock it. But as soon as quiet finds you in solitude, catches up with you, you will find there is still eternity in your heart. Yet no one can fathom what, has, what God has done from beginning to the end. I want to uh, remind all of you of this passage of scripture that shows us that God is not just in the, how shall we say, the powerful past of the prophetic and uh, the patriarchal, not just in what God has done and not just in a future when uh, the end shall come and time shall be no more. Not, not just there, but God in the here and now is trying to do something in my heart and in your heart. God is working on me. Somebody say, God's working on me too. We have to have a sense of the journey as it is lived out in faith. It is very appropriate that Father Abraham is shown to us as a wanderer and a sojourner, 
seeking something that he doesn't really know how to define it or describe it in a satisfactory way. He uh, will say something like a city whose builder and maker is God, but uh, okay, now what? What does that look like? So much of biblical truth and biblical uh, direction and uh, missional purpose, so much of it is spoken in the form of an ideal, and it is incumbent upon us, we who are here in this moment, to live it out. Somebody say, live it out. You have to live it out. It's not enough for us to put it in a song and sing it on Sunday. It's not enough to put it in a sermon and preach it on Sunday after the song. We have to find a way to live out this great gospel, this great salvation that is the gift of God upon us. And can I have a great big amen? Remember, the history of the New Testament church is not entitled the sermons of the apostles. It has multiple sermons in it, but that's not what it's about. It's not entitled the prophecies of the apostles. There's prophecy in it, yes. It's not entitled uh, the feelings, the emotions, uh, the memories. It is entitled the acts. What did we do? And so I am challenging all of you in this season to be reminded of this truth. God has not just done something in the past, and God has not just promised to do something in the future. God would like to do something in your life today. God would like to do something in your family today. He is here, and he is near, and come. somebody say yes. yes. Amen, amen. Um, we uh, have something that is uh, very much a part of our, um, our, our humanity, and that is we are storytellers. Um, we are primarily storytellers. If you look in history and you go as far back as we have, you know, uh, parchments, if you go as far back as small groups of people living nomadically around campfires and moving between uh, grazing lands, if you go back to there, you will find that what they primarily were doing one with another was telling and listening to stories. It was a story that would touch the heart, would unify the tribe, that would structure the family. The story was important. In fact, um, philosophers often say that we are much more storytellers than we are truth seekers. And one of the reasons why it is difficult for people uh, to face truth, this is something Jesus pointed out and challenged when he said the truth will set you free, um, when it's easier for us to hide in a narrative. Just, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, it's easy for you to say, uh, no one at that church liked me. Well, that's not true, but that's a uh, self-deceiving narrative. I've seen people walk out of the, the church and walk away from the kingdom of God because they had a story that someone did not appreciate them, someone did not see them. Um, well, we know biblically, I don't know why I'm preaching this way, but it's holiday, and this is a Christmassy sub- sur- subject to be preaching about, right? Um, we know that uh, part of serving God is overcoming offense. The Bible says offenses must come. But I promise you, the enemy would love to give you a self-deceptive and a self-destructive story that would isolate you from community, that would separate you from the presence of God. We're not going to let it happen today. And can somebody say amen? Amen. 
All right, we tell each other stories. Why is this important? Um, well, if you've ever studied literature or you've ever taken an uh, English or a French literature class, you've been forced to study um, the novel or the screenplay or the epic tale, you know that there's only, there's a finite number of plots that are used and reused. There's not an endless number of plots. In fact, there's uh, researchers and they disagree a little bit on how many basic ones there are, but it's not that many, you'd be surprised. And by a plot, I mean something like a coming of age story. Um, then there's the, the, the story of justice versus a revenge fantasy. Uh, there's all these kinds of stories. There's the romantic story. There is the rise of a leader story. These are all plots and they are told and retold and retold. There is stuff like, one of the most famous is the hero's journey. It's told and it's retold and it's retold. Um, it might be done by Marvel Comics. It might be done by uh, a Greek uh, tragedian <laughs> or a Roman poet, but they're all telling this hero's tale. Uh, the story is retold and it is reused because it speaks to something in the human experience. Uh, it's important that things touch our hearts because when we are not touched in our spirit, when our emotions are not engaged, it's very easy for us to stay on our sofa of apathy, to stay kicked back on our at ease in Zion comfort zone. But when something touches you, it, it moves you. Um, the reason why artists, uh, bands, singers, uh, they, they, can, they can be so celebrated and more they can be worshipped is because of their ability to make people feel. Because once they make you feel, they no more feel like a stranger to you. How could they not know how it feels like to be you when they have made you feel? So you go to concerts and you watch people, men or women, being worshipped. I mean, there's no other word for it. They have made those people feel something. As long as it's just logic, uh, it's not really moving many people. Very few people live logical lives, even if it's good advice. If you've come to church for a little while, you know that uh, church is full of good advice and people who have a past of not following it. Um, it's not enough to know. Something needs to touch your heart. And uh, if you're touched, it moves you. Um, I, I had a personal experience where uh, I was in a, a small music venue and I was able to meet one of my favorite producers ever. Um, some of you may know him. His name's Marcus Miller. He's produced Anita Baker. He's produced, um, who hasn't he uh, produced? He's produced, um, uh, let's see, uh, Luther Vandross, David Sanborn. Um, there's a bunch more. Uh, if you're not into music, you may not know him, but uh, he is a hit machine. He is phenomenally talented. As a musician, he primarily plays the bass, um, and that's how he came to fame. He is—he has played with Miles Davis. That's how he got his start, and he is still traveling, doing huge events. And I was in a small room with him, and there was a few of us in there. And somebody asked him this question. They said. Have you ever known um, a very famous musician who really didn't deserve their fame because they weren't talented? Um, like they may have, you could tell, although they played the instruments, they didn't really have the chops. Who have you ever known that it was really just a fluke 
that they were famous because they didn't deserve it. And um, Mark, Marcus Miller, he, he had a kind of pulled a pensive face for a moment. And then he said, um, you're, you're going about this all wrong. Uh, you're, you're looking at this completely wrong. Um, as the Brits would say, you have the wrong end of the stick on this. Um, it, uh, your success, your fame is not primarily about your talents. It's much more about whether or not you can make people feel something. And if you can make people feel something, your talent, and this is his words. He said, I I know musicians that are crazy talented, um, but they never had the moment where they made enough people feel something that it would go in what we would call viral. And he said, let me tell you a story of a hugely successful artist who was not a musician. And he told the story to the small group of of, uh, Bill Withers, who uh, some of you guys know. Some of you don't know, but I want you to know Bill Withers was a monster back when there was good music. Uh, that's, that's back when it was good music. And not only that, it was back when men loved women. <laughs> that's when men loved women. Nowadays, they're all like, yeah, I slap you in a knock you in a tip, you know, whatever. Go slap yourself. <laughs> That was back in the day when Pastor Don was DJ Donovan. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And Sister Venice said, Lord, that boy needs Jesus. He said, let me tell you the story of Bill Withers. He said, "Um, Bill Withers, you would laugh at him because he was not a musician. He said, but Bill Withers had talent because he could make you feel something. Uh, He said, one of the first songs he had that really uh, took off started with three notes. He said, can you play three notes? Some people can play 300,000 notes, if such a thing was possible, um, but they don't make people feel something. He said, let's take three notes. And he was on his base, uh, uh, Marcus Miller was. He said, let's just play three notes. Doom, 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 doom. Can you make a song out of that? He said, Bill Withers could. Doom. And then he said, how about this? Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Doom, doom, doom. Only clouds when she's away. Ready? Doom, doom, doom. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. That's all. And where'd my wife go for this moment? Doom, doom, doom. He could play three notes. He said, most people can't do anything with three notes. He said, Bill Withers could write, ain't no sunshine when she's gone with three notes. He said he had his first success. His first success. He didn't know how to play the piano. He thought he needed to own one, and he had money now. He bought a uh, Steinway uh, six-foot white grand piano and had it brought in his house. He said, and he's messing with this, don't know how to play it, thinks he needs to learn how to play. He sits down and plays a C major card, June. And then he just goes up like every kid in the history of the world, June, 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 June. He said, most people can't do anything with that. He said, but Bill Weathers could say, y'all don't deserve me. Five chords. Doom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Someone's about to get the Holy Ghost over here. Lean on me. When you're not strong, okay, let's stop. 
When he said that, I was sitting there, and there weren't many people in the room. It was right at the end, most people had left. I felt like he had took a fish hook and threw it across the room and put it in my shoulder. Because he, the point was, if you cannot touch people, you cannot motivate them to make any changes in their life. If you can't make them feel, and I'm thinking, I'm a communicator. God has called me to try to communicate this. How do I make people feel this truth? And so every, uh, as, as near as I can remember, almost every Sunday since then, as I've prepared for Sunday, I've asked myself this question, how do I make people feel? Many of you wonder why I include quotes from great novels. Many of you wonder why I re- use reference to movies, yes, or why I sing songs like this when I'm with you. Many of you wonder why I don't just, you know, rightly divide in the word of God. Why do, I'm trying to make someone feel, because if you can feel something, you might get up off your seat of apathy and try to make a change in your life. So let's talk about making people feel. Um, There's a channel called the Hallmark Channel. All you women know what it is. All you men are like, Hallmark's a card. Um, There's a channel called the Hallmark Channel, and they have a uh, winning formula for Christmas movies. And um, this, let me show show you how successful this is. Since 2018, they have made 38 Christmas movies, 38 since 2018. I don't even know how many is a year, but it's more than I've ever watched in my whole life. 38 movies just in what? The last, or said to be two, uh, you get the idea, five years. 38 movies. They've had over 83 million uh, women watch it, and they've had seven men watch these movies too. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> and um, uh, they, they, by making this basic plot, they have created this winning formula that from their perspective as a business, it just prints money. Why? Because people are duty bound to watch? No. It makes people feel something. They see themselves. When Taylor Swift sings a song, every teenage girl in the world says, that's me, baby. It's not you. That's Taylor Swift. But she makes you feel. You get the idea. And so it is. Even, even music that you don't think of as sentimental or romantic, even the successful rapper who when the car goes by the church, it's bumping the whole church as they go by. You know why they're listening? That guy's making them feel something. People watch this and it connects to truths in their life. And so it's always the, the main character in this, um, this plot always is a woman, as you might would guess, since 99.100% of uh, <laughs> uh, women who watch, uh, people who watch Hallmark Channel is women. And here's the basic Christmas plot. It's not about a manger. They do make movies like that sometimes, but unfortunately, those don't get watched near as much. Um, there's other types, of, but this is the plot that has made them millions. And here is the basic outline. There's five points to this plot. And all of them are successful because they connect with a human reality. That's what I want you to see. If it weren't true, it wouldn't touch them. And if it didn't touch them, then it would not teach us in the manner that it's about to teach us. Here is the main character. She lives in a very large city. She is very successful. She lives a very 
fast-paced life, and yet, and yet, and yet, in spite of her uh, wealth, her success, in spite of her um, friendships, in spite of everything she has attained, there is something missing in her life. And the movie plot goes like this. She, by some circumstance, knows something is missing, something is wrong, and although she has uh, success, and although she has career, something in her life is missing. And in the plot, she is going to be forced by circumstance to return to the small town she is from. This is step one in the Hallmark uh, print a million dollar Christmas script. The takeaway principle that can touch everybody is in spite of what this character has succeeded at, in spite of what she has, she comes aware that something is missing in her life. Now, let me be uh, real honest with you. It's much easier to know whether something is missing than it is to know exactly what that something is. And we struggle to find it. At one stage of our life, we think if we had enough money, that would be it. At another stage of our life, we think if we had uh, that guy or that girl, that would be it. And then the next stage of your life, you wish you could kill that guy or that girl because you're fighting about the money you needed to have in the beginning. Do you see where I'm going with this? Our seasons are changing changing. Our circumstances are changing. And here, this truth placed in a movie script touches millions of people who sit there and eat popcorn and think, oh my God, what she's going to do now? What's she going to do now? This successful woman knows she's missing something and she goes back for one reason or another to her hometown. Now, I wish it were a surefire way to find what you're missing by going back to where you came from. But let's be honest, there may be a reason why you left where you came from. Your past may have more than uh, happy stories in it. Your past may have tears in it. Let me tell you a better way to find what's missing in your life, and that is this. You need to explore the eternity that God has placed in your heart. Because what you are missing, I promise you, there is a very high probability that when God placed eternity in your heart, you might think of it as your ability to be spiritual. You might think of it as your ability to seek after a relationship with your creator. You might think of it as the ability to have quiet time and prayer time and Christian community. Think of it how you will, and we'll talk more about it in a moment, but I want you to see the first place, if you have any wisdom in your life, is to seek what your life is missing, uh, not in possessions, not in dollar bills in an account, not in security, but in the quiet of God's presence near you. Sure, it might be good to go home. The poet uh, Maya Angelou said, the ache for home lives in all of us. The safe place where we can go as we are and not be questioned. And the first time I read that, I was really, really impressed with the quote. I thought, that's great. And my next thought was, well, wait a minute. What do you mean go back at, to where you were not questioned? A lot of people left because they couldn't be who they were there. Home is not, it's sentimental, yes, but it's not a surefire solution to what it is you're looking for. There may have been a reason why you left. 
There may not have been acceptance for you there. There may have been dismissiveness for you there. You may have had to leave because there was no place for you to spread your wings there. It's more complicated than the movie script where you just can go home and things will start getting better. There might be a reason you left home. I want to preach it like a gospel preacher. And I want to say God has placed eternity in your hearts. And whatever you do, create some quiet time in your life and say, God, is it possible that I might know you better? That's when you'll begin to find God. Why? When do you find God? The Bible answers the question when you seek him with all of your heart. But if you can't appreciate the spiritual nature of your own uh, being, uh, it'll be difficult. 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 14, the, spirit, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Don't allow blindness to be the frustrating element in your life. Make room for the presence of God. And can I have a big amen? Lord, let us do it in our lives. Let it, don't let us be so comfortable as religious people and churchgoers that we stop seeking you. But let us have a commitment to prayer, oh God. Let us have a commitment to your word, Lord Jesus. Let us have a commitment to the Christian fellowship of our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, back to uh, popcorn and the Hallmark Channel. What's the second principle of this Christmas script that always makes them millions? Shortly after arriving at home, uh, this successful young woman who is in the city and living a city life, um, after coming, she connects with a charming small town man. Yes, romance must be in any channel that has a largely female viewership. You don't need to say amen. Everybody knows it's true. She meets a charming small town man. Commence, cue up, get ready for ice skating, hot chocolate, a tree lot, tree decorating with long lingering eye gazing, caroling together, gift giving, charity work, big family meals, and the movie goes on. And millions of women go, oh my God, what's going to happen next? What am I saying? Um, here is the takeaway that's so true. You can watch it in many different circumstances, in many different cultures. Here's the takeaway. It's a biblical takeaway. You need community. Money is not a replacement for a community. Career is not a replacement for a community. A good insurance policy, come on somebody, is not a replacement for a community. You need community like you need to eat healthy. You need community like you need to work out. Do you think you want to work out every time you need to work out? Somebody say, again, I say no. You don't want to do it. Why do you do it? You need to do it. You know it's in your stead for your good. You know you need to do it. Let me say it like this. You guys need community in the same way you need healthy food. You need community in the same way you need to work out at a gym or go walk in a neighborhood. You need community in the same manner that it's psychologically healthy for you to connect with nature and go for a walk in the woods. You need community in the same manner that you need friends. Amen. That's why I'd like you to commit to the body of Christ. 
I'd like you to believe that God knew what he was doing when he established the church age as a method of fulfilling his mission on earth. You need the church. And let me say the second part of that. The church needs you. Oh, I wish I had a better amen than that. Community matters. Uh, in sociology, there are areas around the world known as blue zones. That's a term that has become popular to use. These blue zones are areas, um, regions where people have a much higher than average life expectancy. Uh, you crunch the numbers, and here's the takeaway. They just live longer, like in some cases, a lot longer. What are the common factors of those areas? There are some, there are some uh, uh, eating habits there. There are some uh, exercise habits. They might be a part of the country where there's not a lot of uh, 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 car-type transportation. They may do a lot more walking. Uh, But one of the big things that is consistent across every blue zone where people live much longer than the average, this is consistent. They have a strong sense of community and communal fellowship. These are the parts of the world where the cafes are on the sidewalk. There's no, there's no, it's not like you're separated from other people. You walk along and you see this person. You come around the corner, you see this person. This is a part of the world where the gardens are in front of the house, not behind the house. And so when you walk along, you see the flower pots in the front of the house. And you see the homeowners working where? In the front of the house. And they greeted someone at the cafe having a, 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 a cup of tea or coffee on the corner. And they turned the corner and there they see oh mama mia they see someone right there who is on a a flower pot do you understand what I'm saying community matters let me repeat myself you need community like you need healthy food you need community like you need a workout a good healthy walk you need community like you need to connect with God's good creation and you need community like you need friends and family Romans 12 verse number 4 and 5 for just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's a great tribal proverb that goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We need each other. The third takeaway from this scripted Christmas plot that is a surefire winner that always touches people's heart is this. The main character always falls in love. Of course, it's Hallmark. What did you think they were going to do? Have a murder mystery? Um, They are going to fall in love. And so uh, the takeaway in this uh, story is um, this. And when I, when I, let me just be clear, when I talk about love, I'm not uh, talking about romance. Romantic love. Romance is a part of this script, of course. Um, but uh, there are, I believe, uh, as C.S. Lewis would teach us, there's uh, four great loves. And he uh, is using this not just from his own philosophy, but he's using it as a scriptural truth. Uh, the takeaway from love always being a required part of the story is this. Without love, my future is basically pointless. Let me say it differently. Without love, my success at business is basically pointless. Without love, my bank account is pointless. Without love, everything I have is pointless. 
if you have money and you have no one to do anything with, I, I hope you go out and sit in your car and make engine sounds because, baby, that's all you've got to do. <laughs> Uh, love is part of the story. Uh, Fred Rogers in his, uh, some of you grew up with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I didn't grow up with it because when I was young, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was a sin. And so we couldn't watch it. But some of you guys grew up with Mr. Rogers', na- Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. He's famous for this quote. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, the root of it is love or the lack of love. Oprah Winfrey, uh, in her little book, What I Know For Sure, has this awesome quote she gives, and I I think it speaks in uh, such a concise manner to what I'm trying to convey right now. When you make loving others the story of your life, there's never a final chapter because the legacy continues. You lend your light to one person, and he or she shines it on another and another and another. And I know for sure that in the final analysis of our lives, when the to-do lists are no more, when the frenzy is finished, when our email boxes are empty, the only thing that will have any lasting value is whether we've loved others and whether they have loved us. Without love, it doesn't make any sense. And so our church lives this motto. We say it more than anything else to one to another. We put it on our marketing. We put it on our t-shirts. What are we trying to do around here? We're trying to love God and we're trying to love people. Because even if everything else is difficult, if I live out that greatest power of all, I will be closer to God. Because when God decides to describe himself as a human emotion, he uses love. And he says, God is love. Fourth, I'm almost done. This character always has to right an ethical wrong. She has to make something from her past. She has to make it right. She has to apologize. She has to give something back. She has to make something right. And there is something in the story that is awaiting her to resolve it, waiting her to make absolution for it. And the truth of this that touches the millions of people who watch it is this truth, this takeaway. All of us are works in progress. All of us are unfinished stories. All of us need to make wrong things right. Now, I know no one gets excited about that. I know none of us rejoice on that. But it is so true that Jesus uses the example in his teaching the only time when he tells us that we should stop praying. When Jesus says to get up from the altar, this is when Jesus says you should stop praying. When you realize that there is cause for a brother or a sister to have aught against you. You ought to quit praying at the altar. And you ought to go make things right with your brother or your sister. And then you ought to come back to the altar. This is a truth that can touch anybody. You don't have to come to church on Sunday for this truth to touch you. You don't have to sing with the choir or preach with the preacher. You can just sit at home and watch candy, listen to, uh, or, or, or eat candy corn and watch Hallmark. This is the truth. All of our lives would be better if we could ask ourselves, what can we fix? 
Who can we apologize to? What wrong could we make right? Why does it matter? I I know you're not excited about that. I'm not excited about it either. But let me say this. What does it do for us? What does it do? It puts what we feel in our hearts into action and action steps in our life. It's not how you feel that makes the difference. It's not even what you think that makes the difference. It is the actions you take. It is for a reason that the history of the New New Testament church is called the Acts of the apostles, not the opinions of the apostles, not the sermons of the apostles, not the prophecies of the apostle. What did they do? What can we do to make things right? You know what you ought to do. I know that doesn't make you excited either because now you have to really take take seriously. Most of you know what you could do to make this holiday season a little heavier. Many of you knew no wrongs and you you hesitate to apologize because they don't deserve it. You you're thinking you're thinking like you're, you're thinking like someone who lives in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not someone who eats from the tree of life. You're thinking about it wrong. You are not here to be a judge. You are here to be a witness. And when the judge and the place of the judge is taken by the witness, contempt of court is declared. We're here to do things right. I want you to see this takeaway. We're all unfinished. We all could do better by repenting. Can I have a better amen than that? We all could do better by uh, making an effort. And you probably already know where to begin. It's just ugh to do it. All right, I'm killing the spirit now. Look at how, how worried you are. Musicians, come and help me save this thing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So here's the end of the plot that is done. It's so successful. It touches so many people. It touches them because it resonates as a true thing in their heart. Um, it, it's, it's this ending. Um, this character at the film's end we, we don't, she's, she's almost never married. We don't know if the relationship that she's gotten in the movie will last. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in sequels, those relationships never last. It's, it's a different one. We don't know if that is what is going to change her life. We don't know if uh, uh, it's the small town. Some people have bad experiences in small towns. We don't know exactly the takeaway for that individual or what it's going to be, but there is a sense of change in the character. There is a sense of an ending. There is a closure. There is the sense that uh, I am aware of how I can do life right and how I can do life wrong. I am now knowledgeable to my capacity to live shallow. I am now knowledgeable of my capacity to seek things that matter. And so at the film's end, the hero, the main character, is either changes her life, like moves from where she is, or she is forever changed by uh, the experience. So uh, how, do we apply, how do we apply this in our life? Let me go back to the beginning and uh, remind you of the first appeal I made to you. If you want to really experience change in your life, uh, it's not going to be because you like went to a small town. Uh, That might be a good thing. It may not. I'll leave that up to you. 
It's not going to be because you reconnected with some uh, people you grew up with. That may be a good thing. I'll leave that up to you. All of those things may work out to the good, or you may have a funny story next year about how it became a disaster. I don't know about that, but let me tell you, God has hidden eternity in your heart. And if you would like to live a deeper life, a more spiritually, am, am I preaching at the right church here today? If you would like to live a more spiritually meaningful life, you're going to have to seek the eternity that God has placed in your heart. How do you do that? Well, first of all, are you ready for this? And you already know this. You can say this yourself. You have to make time. Right. You have to make time. Right. You have to make Time. Uh, if you don't make time, there won't be time. Uh, you say, oh, you're just making that up. Well, it's pretty, it's established. <laughs> uh, you, 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 everybody has the same amount of time. You make time for things you think are important. Show me how you spend your time. I'll tell you what you really care about, not what you say you care about. And that's true for me too, God help me. <laughs> Show me how you spend your money and I will tell you what you really care about, not what you say. Oh, I'm about to kill the spirit here today. Make time. One philosopher said time is a created thing. To say I don't have time is like saying I don't want to. challenges the notion that time is an external force beyond our control and instead presents time as something we allocate, we organize, we create based on priorities and choices. And it emphasizes the reality that how we use to spend the currency of our life is the ultimate reflection of our desires, our intentions, and whether or not we do it in real time or whether or not we regret it in past time, we will have to take ownership of the time we've spent, the actions we've taken. And so the scripture says it like this, Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Stand with me all across the house. Paul will write to the church at Ephesus and say, chapter five, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So I want to, I want to, if at all possible, I want us just to take a moment right now. I want us to just to pause. I've, I've preached, I've raised my voice, I've waved my hands, I've walked back and forth. Let's just take a holy pause right here. And I'd like you to ask yourself, if you want next year to look different than this year, I'm not asking you to decide right now. We'll, we'll do that as we get closer to the first of the year. But I'd like you to think about this reality. The eternal God, the one who took your sins as his own, the one who died your penalty of death, the one who spread his arms, hung between heaven and earth, the one who was born as a helpless baby, a cold Bethlehem night in a manger, the one who had no 
religious crowd worshiping him. He had strangers and shepherds. He had the lowest members of society and outsiders. They were the ones who came. There was no pomp or circumstance. Why did he do it? He did it because he would like, he was not content to let you die in sin. He was going to make right every sin. He was going to heal every brokenness. He was going to make whole every shattered spirit, shattered mind. He was going to make a difference. And he said, give me the bill. I'll pay it. That's what Christ did for you. But he did not stay away. Does that make sense? He did not just pay the check and then disappear back to his mansion. He paid the debt. And then he said, I would like you to host my spirit. I don't want to dwell in a, a tabernacle or a temple. I want to dwell in your heart. Christ did everything he did that he might have a real, functional, personal relationship with you. And he can't force it on you. He stands at the door and knocks. You decide. Pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for every one of us gathered in this house today. I pray for everyone watching online. Lord, help us to respond to the great work of grace that is evidenced to us at Calvary. The great work of grace that's shown to us at Bethlehem. Help us to celebrate the great work of resurrection as you came out of that tomb, as you showed yourself alive after your death, your passion by many infallible proofs. Lord Jesus, help us to be worshipers and witnesses of your great work among us. We commit ourselves today. We commit ourselves today to knowing you, to making time, to seeking your presence, the still small voices in our life, to speak, to change, to bless, to strengthen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.